Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is Tuesday, October 3rd, about 4.15 p.m., 5 o'clock here Pacific, need to fire off our, that's right, that is right, the Racing Family Show with my guy Chris Wheeler. So let's see how many of your questions we can get through here in the next 45 minutes or so. Just got back from five days in Monterey covering the Ren Sport Reunion 7 event. Thoroughly amazing. I'm trying to think of the IndyCar drivers I came across. Was it just one? Not totally sure. Uh, Graham Rahal, I think, might have been the only one who I saw. I uh, saw lots of other drivers, but in terms of dedicated IndyCar folks, I think GR was the only one. Amazing time had. Ended up not seeing a lot outside. I spent most of those, let's see, four of the five days almost entirely inside capturing podcasts slash video interviews with legends of Porsche, somewhere between 20 and 25 interviews, I believe. It was phenomenal. So most of those are half an hour in length, some 20, some 45, some an hour long as I find time here during the off season, I'll get those cooked up and hope that you enjoy them. Did one other thing, again, not IndyCar, but just if you like technology, this blew my mind. Uh, Porsche, yet again, had its 919 hybrid, the greatest prototype uh, we've seen in decades upon decades. It was there, and it occurred to me, I think on Friday, uh, to say, hey, I don't believe a true tech tour of this car has ever been done two liter v4 turbo hybrid double energy recovery systems uh one off the front axle one at the rear with the mgu h uh, heat base turbo i mean just this thing's the wildest prototype there is it's still even though it hasn't run since 2017 very long story short occurred to me i don't think anyone's ever done a real in-depth tech tour of this asked porsche asked my friend mark lieb who's one of the factory drivers of it and now a a manager and, and person in charge of stuff at porsche and he said yep let's do it and he was our guide so i'm going to try and whip that up sometime here soon but oh boy just a magical time there and yeah more content to come uh give you a Another quick update before we get rolling. As I mentioned, it's Tuesday. I'm on a plane seven days from now, Tuesday morning, headed to Road Atlanta, Petit Le Mans, and we'll be flat out there that race, 10-hour title decider for a couple of the classes. Season finale takes place uh, that Saturday. Stay over Sunday. Got some cool stuff there, and then I think a little bit of stuff even Monday morning Then I fly home. And then finally, kind of, sort of, I start my off season. So I'm so excited. I can't wait. I just want to be a bum for a little bit. Uh, hey, we've got some news that has landed kind of, sort of, today. I think after the questions were put together by our pal Jerry Suddeth about our folks at Errol McLaren and Hunko's Hollinger Racing formalizing some form of relationship. Um, know that we revealed that was in the works, I don't know, a couple months ago and one of our silly season pieces, throwing things into the ether, I believe, as it was described. Funnily enough, hey, it kind of happened. Um, Going to get some more details on that here pretty soon. Uh, there's some interesting stuff going on driver-wise. 
try and put that into a silly season piece here. Um, there's plenty of stuff going on uh, behind the scenes with two teams. Called both of those teams today. Uh, one side didn't respond to any calls. The other one sent me to voicemail. Might have known what I was calling about. But yeah, hey, it might be early October and we might be coming up on one month since the IndyCar season finale. But I'm telling you, things have not slowed down. So let's say a big thank you as always to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire, our partners. And let's get into your Q&A. Once again, as I mentioned, put together by our friend, the amazing Jerry Suddeth. Thank you, Jerry. Do appreciate you. He also, as he so often does, leaves us with a little bit of humor to start the show. This one, a quote from the late, great Will, Roger, Will Rogers. Make crime pay. Become a lawyer. Hey, there you go. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate you. Uh, who's going to open the show for us? Well, that's a pretty easy answer because we do indeed have the official minister of mirth for the show. Our guy, Lance Snyder, also volunteer corner worker. Lance is not hard to find. If you're at a motor racing event and you're looking for a fun volunteer and maybe you want to join those volunteer corner workers, uh, interact with Lance. He'll get you signed up. He says, with onboard starters coming next year, how big of a strategy change will that be? How many cautions and red flags will not come out due to the cars having these hybrid power plants and no longer needing external starters? You say, for hashtag me personally, if at least 69 cautions and red flags will be avoided, that would be nice. Um, I'm waiting to get more info on this, Lance. For the test that I attended in August... External starters were used. Was that just simply to baby and really take care of these brand new energy recovery systems and just not overtax them for this uh, validation test? Not sure. Need to get a little bit more info on this, my friend. But if they do, as IndyCar has said, they want them to do, which is have the ability to start the cars in the event of a spin, stall, whatever else, that would be great. Keep in mind that it's also, let's say all that happens. Let's say everything works as intended and the ERS units do indeed have the ability to fire up a stalled car. There is a condition for those units, Lance, that I know this is in the obvious statement alert category, but if a driver has just used all of their electronic horsepower, used all the energy, depleted the supercapacitor, well, there's going to be no juice to spin up that MGU and fire the motor. So it's not a guaranteed thing, even if it does work and everything happens, as IndyCar has stated in wanting to have these ERS units fire up the cars so yeah need to have a f pretty decent charge for that to be the case but this is a hashtag let's wait and see moment because need to find out more and if this will indeed be the thing uh, our pal right turn lover says milwaukee's back our led panels the next thing to return you know i joke about this and or indycar president jay fry jokes with me about this on a somewhat regular basis and it's a joke but I also think there's some portion 
that is rooted in accuracy as in could they return will they return i hope so i think they were good uh when they worked it was the when they didn't work part that was the problem because there's too many times where they didn't work uh horatio frey you say no you probably you're done talking about all the silly season stuff but how close was alex plow to driving an f1 you say i'm pretty sure leading up the announcement that he was staying with cgr you were talking about a williams seat yeah i mean that was one of the things i'd heard floated that williams could have an interest in him um i have not had a chance to catch up with alex about this i don't know how much he would want to talk about this um keeping in mind here horatio that he is indeed staying with the team he's just won two championships with chip ganassi racing keeping in mind that last year summer of 2022 things got pretty ugly with him trying to leave and that was a rather contentious thing right um i would just suggest that the willingness for alex to talk about wanting to go elsewhere, do other things with other people. I feel like he knows that this is probably not something Chip Ganassi wants to hear about or read about. Um, Sorry that I'm mixing my words so much today. I don't know why, but it is what it is. I just get the feeling here that, hey, Alex, since it didn't happen, could you tell us how close you came and with whom and whatever else? I'm not saying he couldn't answer those questions, but I would say that knowing he has elected to stay with Ganassi and how Chip is all about loyalty and was pissed, humiliated, and you name it, last year when Alex was pulling a number of stunts to try and leave, I just got to believe that Alex knows, you know what, maybe these stories are are better kept for uh, some time far down the road. Not right now, while the him trying to leave and get out of things vibe still a little bit fresh. Uh, let's see. We go to Chris Kalewick. How you doing, Chris? This is Marshall. I applaud the frustration with the, uh, the backtrack and giving women more opportunities and seats with IndyCar uh, from the last podcast. He says, what did you think of Jamie Chadwick's first season in Indy NXT? Chris says, seems like she would get better at the end of each race and move forward. Is she coming back next year? You'd mentioned Pratt Autosport possibly being in the grid, uh, on the grid, maybe with Tatiana Calderon. Any update on that? Uh, I probably need to give a bit of a caveat here early. Uh, after Monterey, IndyCar season finale, was home for like a day or two, went to Indianapolis for IMSA, came home, was home for a little, barely over a week, trying to catch up on a lot of stuff also yeah splitting my energies across multiple series and clients then just got back from five days or whatever it was in monterey probably today (laughs) i hate to say it chris today might have been the first day where i actually jumped on the phones to try and catch up with folks and learn things all indycar related to be less dumb this area with Jamie falls into the still dumb category. So I know the team, the Andretti global team, absolutely wants to hold on to her, is working on that. 
I know that we haven't seen any formal announcement that DHL is actually I take that back. DHL did give me a quote. Sorry, I'm forgetting. Uh, DHL did give us a quote at racer confirming that they are not returning to Andretti did not state where they're going. We expect that to be Ganassi, but knowing that DHL was the funding on the car for Jamie, I'm guessing the Andretti team is still trying to map that part out for her. Could be wrong, but I know there's a desire on their part to continue with her. I would not say she is ready for IndyCar at all. And it's not because she lacks talent. She's got gobs of talent. It's the Indy Lights car being the biggest, heaviest, highest downforce thing she's ever driven. Widest tires, most grip, etc. That was the animal she was fighting all year long. And she did get better in terms of results as the year went on as she did more training got added more muscle and physical muscular endurance uh so stepping up to an indy car though is just doubling or tripling the intensity of what's needed there so would hope she has another year in nxt we know that andretti's interested i just need to call and inquire and see where that's at would love to think she might be on the radar for something with Peretta or Andretti or whomever in the future with IndyCar, just not the immediate future. And if she can add the size and strength and endurance that she needs to wrangle an IndyCar all day at name the very physically challenging track, then we'd be in great shape. Uh, also need to try and figure out more as to where and if the Peretta Autosport angle uh, is moving along at Andretti Autosport. Uh, let's see. Ed Joris say has the series or any of its teams thought to work with a successful quote women forward racing organization like Iron Dames to develop a sustainable women forward IndyCar team. Um, great question. I know Beth has certainly spoken uh, with Iron Dames, but I'm not aware of any other teams trying to engage with them directly. The Women in Motorsports North America Initiative, which is just that, it's an initiative, not a team. Um, they're going from strength to strength. Um, but good question. I don't have an answer to that, Ed, because, again, I'd have to know exactly what the series and its 10 full-time teams have done in order to answer this. But I know that the Women in Motorsports North America organization seems to be doing more and forging more connections um we can look at some teams like uh errol mclaren that is engaged with a women forward program we know that chip ganassi racing uh, and pnc bank have their women in motorsports um intern program which has certainly led to some great talent being identified and developed so I'm sure that there's one or more other teams doing such things, but I'm going to make a note because it's a great question that needs a deeper and more definitive answer uh, to find out if and what each team is or is not doing and if they have any things in the works where they might. Uh, let's see, where are we going next? Todd McMurray, you say, Milwaukee doubleheader? Looks like my wish came true. MP, what does this mean? Does IndyCar have some large corporate sponsor lined up, say like Hy-Vee in Iowa? 
circling back to your comments from July, you were a little pes- pessimistic about the facilities and creature comforts at Milwaukee. Do you think Penske Entertainment will truck all of that in? I would have to imagine they will import as much as possible to make things look nice and polished, but also I wouldn't be surprised if there was a something in a contract that set aside some improvements and such whether it's painting of this or paving of that or you know some beautification uh, penske showing up to a place that makes roger cringe or do a lot of pointing and scowling that's not really how they get down so i gotta believe that there's something built into that as for how did it come together i mean both sides were talking for sure how did it become a double header yeah uh losing texas i would say is how this became a double header needing to add one more race to stay at the 17 that indycar has had uh let's see mike jablo say mp continued good wishes to you and your family any update on the indycar test on october 11th at indy is it strictly rop will other drivers and teams be testing spoke with series today to get a little bit of clarity uh, Wednesday, next Wednesday, the 11th, is meant to be the ROP. Four drivers are signed up for it. Kyle Larson, Marcus Armstrong, Linus Lindqvist. So we've got two drivers from Ganassi. Larson with Aaron McLaren. And good old Tom Blomqvist from Meyer Shank Racing. The 12th and 13th, Thursday, Friday, meant to be non-ROP and indycar hybrid testing first on the big two and a half mile oval with the latest greatest final specification of the hybrid power plant the caveat that i was given by the series is no disrespect to armstrong or the quists but kyle larson's obviously the big show here and told that he has a super packed schedule as it is and there might need to be a little bit of sliding on his end to accommodate that schedule so i expect the kiwi the brit and the speed to run on wednesday the 11th if there's any scheduling issues with larson i think we'll end up hearing about him running on thursday the 12th uh in and among the hybrid testing so yeah that's what i know mike uh brett keys you say rll struggled with oval pace in 23 so two full-time guys that already have great road and street course pace does it make sense for our rll to hire a guy that is clearly fast but has zero zero oval experience would assume you're referring to yuri vips say it seems like improving their 500 program would be top priority it is Without a doubt, Graham knows his way around an oval. Uh, is extremely good. So there's your leader. Say Christian Lundgaard as a rookie with zero oval experience. Definitely a little bit of hesitation and trepidations. Smart, right? Year two, it's pretty dang impressive if you ask me. So while Graham would be the unquestioned oval vet and voice to lead also say lungard showed that he can get around an oval pretty darn quickly as well so i feel good with where they're going there vips 
what do you do? Do you go hire somebody who is going to be less of a threat everywhere else, but good for the 500? Or do you jump into that process with VIPs knowing you've got Graham and Christian who can certainly be strong voices to lead the team forward there? Granted, we're talking about folks who need to feel and provide feedback on what the engineers R&D folks they're coming up with uh, compared to them telling the engineers what to do. Um, the engineering side is what needs to improve for their oval package, Indy 500 specifically. So assuming that the operation side of the team makes those improvements, you have two people I'm confident in can give great feedback to help lead and refine those improvements vips that guy's pretty dang good on road and street courses right we're we're confident about that um if he can do that he can be just as good on ovals so i feel fine with where they're going here um i mean the only other answer that comes to mind in terms of young and really high quality giving RLL a long runway, knowing that Graham has a couple more years, maybe full-time, but not a ton. And I'm not saying he's old, just he has said, look, you know, I've been doing this forever and the clock's winding down. Christian Rasmussen's the only other one who jumps out as someone for RLL to consider. To my knowledge, they are not engaged with the kid at all. So, yeah feels like vips is going to be the one and i think they're not doing anything wrong if that's the direction they end up going uh cody phillips from what i understand they will be adding some weight to the back of the cars next year in the form of some hybrid contraption are there any drivers that you think will benefit from having a bit more weight at the back of the car um just those who prefer understeer. Like if Sebastian Bourdais was still driving Cody, he would love this development. Um, I haven't heard of anything with this latest, lightest version of the energy recovery system that suggests the balance of the car is being radically thrown off. Um, Will Power and Scott Dixon have done pretty strong amount of testing with these cars. And these are two folks with crazy fast hands that are accustomed to driving with the nose of the car being the, the heavier end and preferring to have super sharp turn in, super rapid turn in. And if they have oversteer, they have the quick hands to deal with it and keep the car going quickly. I didn't hear anything from them in on the record, off the record, you name it, conversations where they said, oh boy, this thing's now an understeering pig, an oversteering pig, or anything like that. Am I saying the car's handling perfectly? No. But these are two guys who would say, hey, this ain't it. This is terrible. Uh, I haven't heard anything to suggest from either of them that that is indeed what's going on. Barry Lee, you're up next, and man, I'm totally unprepared for your question, so this is my fault, and Jerry, if you can carry this over for next week, I'll try and remember. Uh, <laughs> Sam P., you wanted me to remind you after the season 
uh, to revisit the topic of total time spent in the pits for each team and see how that correlates to how they finished in the points. Yeah. Uh, sorry, homeboy. Uh, we'll try that again next week. And if I fail next week, then the week after for sure, but we'll get to it. No doubt. Uh, Daniel Ingleton MP best wishes to you and the family. Say with five of the last eight races of 2024 being on short ovals, will teams prioritize test days to short ovals more than they would have done in the past few seasons? Yes, without a doubt. Uh, interesting to see the, hey, last couple of races this year, very road course heavy. So you had some teams who expected to be in the title fight, uh, shift where they used their very limited number of test days to try and rally towards the end on the tracks that they saw the most action on this for sure will shape how teams go about selecting where they test and when next year, Daniel, great, great question. Uh, and related to that Casey Kirkstra say MP looks like the new schedule would favor Joseph Newgarden. Five short ovals in the second half of the season. Plus, he's always run strong at Nashville. If he's leading the championship headed into Iowa, he'll be tough to beat, don't you think? I'll say really kind words here. Best to you and your wife in the renewed cancer fight. Say I've added you guys again to my prayers. Thank you, Casey. Yeah, I had a similar thought here, too, where... <sighs> Boy, if we're talking about core competencies... And where certain teams are good, if not great, well, uh, we're heading into a 2024 that sure indeed uh, looks like we're going to be making some folks at Team Penske very happy, right? Of the 17 races, round 10 and 11 are at Joseph Newgarden Memorial Speedway, a.k.a. Iowa. Round 12, Toronto tends to be uh, a Scott Dixon or even a Alex Pillow type playground. We know Ganassi's pretty darn good there. <coughs> Go to round 13 next, Worldwide Technology Raceway. Um, that too, boy, not a bad place uh, for our friends at Team Penske, although admittedly I seem to recall a guy by the name of Scott Dixon going fairly well there as well. So, I mean, look, I know Iowa, without a doubt, that is certainly Penske's private playground. Oh, there's a little bit of alliteration led by the word P. Um, yeah, uh, Portland, that's been pretty darn good for Ganassi. But then Milwaukee, we'll have to see how this car, we've never had the DW12 with the UAK18 bodywork with the weight of an aero screen up front and now this new weight at the rear with that hybrid contraption no one has run there we will have to see who emerges but again it wouldn't be a surprise if team penske was extremely good or if we saw that chip ganassi racing was extremely good and hey uh that place called nashville um I mean, our guy Kyle Kirkwood won there. Bit of a wacky race this year. But, yeah, I, I see what you're getting at. Had a similar thought of, like, well, if we assume Penske's going to be on the mark at the short ovals, yeah, they got five out of the last seven. Um, that in theory, or is that eight? Let me do my counting. 
eight. Sorry, I'm dumb. Five of the last eight are indeed on tracks that would seem to be ones that they are relishing getting to. Uh, James Bethane. Jamie 999 asked a similar question here. Uh, are Liam Lawson and Logan Sargent being thrown into the IndyCar silly season pool as well? Not that I know of. If they wanted to be here, they'd need to be here now. Uh, by the time F1 seasons are over, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a, any options left, um, especially ones that they would really want to consider. Lawson, I believe, saw that he signed up again as reserve, so I think we know where he's going to be next year. But, yeah, Sargent's the one where if by chance he is not retained by Williams for a race seat. You know, I'm not totally sure where he goes. Um, no, I've mentioned this before, but it is just worth adding this context, James and Jamie. Sargent has no profile here. You have most IndyCar teams getting to know about him in terms of seeing him race and having a real strong feeling of what he can do most IndyCar teams have gotten that this season watching him in F1. Maybe some paid attention to him in F2 last year, but since he has focused most of his career in Europe, not saying he doesn't have a great record here in karting and, and whatnot, but I'm talking about at tracks in front of IndyCar team owners where they would have actually been watching and seen him run, right? We know, for example, you might be doing great things in, USF 2000, presented by Cooper Tires. IndyCar team owners aren't watching. Uh, Indy Pro 2000, presented by Cooper. Maybe a little bit if you're really doing big things. It's kind of sort of when you get to Indy Lights or Indy NXT, where if you're doing big things, team owners, by and large, will start paying attention. That hasn't been Logan's story here. So just keep in mind, unless he is bringing a big old bag full of money we're talking about a lot of teams will probably have their drivers sorted before the end of the f1 season and for what they've seen they've seen a guy who's run last or close to last almost everywhere and crashed a bunch so not picking on logan i'm sure given a second season in f1 he'd be way better it's just the normal progression but if he's having to try and attract indycar team owners strictly based on performance not bringing money i don't know if he's done anything to make any jump up and say oh my gosh i'm moving people out of the way to get you so yeah i do hope for him that his f1 dreams continue because if they don't i just struggle to see where he would land in something that he really and truly enjoys um eric marrero doing eric it's this year might be your first time sending in a question. If so, thank you. Uh, you say, serious question. How many of the future drivers in the next five years come from the road to Indy ladder uh, or F1 ladder? And what do you think is causing the shift to more European formula-based drivers? Is it the lack of ovals? Um, I think my, not my last column, but the one before that on ESPN covered this exact topic, Eric. Got a couple things going on here main one is ovals but it's actually it's the lack of ovals for sure 
that young USF championships, but primarily Indy NXT drivers are running on. So with the change in how Indy Light slash NXT has been run since Penske Entertainment purchased IndyCar, which also came with Indy Lights, they have stripped down the number of ovals. They have taken away any big ovals. So the recognition by a number of IndyCar team owners and team principals has been this. Hey, uh, a kid coming out of a top 10 Formula 2 team is really freaking good. And that's because the majority of Formula 2 teams are phenomenal. And so if you are winning races in F2, running again, top 10, top 12, that is a huge, huge statement of your baseline skills. Don't have any oval experience, but you've been going to like Ivy League elite type universities to gain your junior open wheel experience. There are a couple, just a couple of Indy NXT teams that fall into that category. It is a much finer, finer filter here. Top two, maybe three, maybe three, maybe one, uh, one or two drivers are looked at with similar levels of reverie from an IndyCar team. So for going strictly on talent, right? Let's say no money is really not much money is being offered by the winning NXT driver or second place NXT and similar thing for a top five, six, seven, eight F2 driver. What we're seeing is more IndyCar team owners and team principals say, yep. This kid coming up the American open wheel ladder does have some oval experience, but it's not vast and it's not on any kind of speedway. So while they do have a very mild advantage in that regard over their European junior open wheel counterpart, the schooling and the, the height and caliber of that schooling for the kid coming over here from Europe is as high, if not higher than anything you will find in NXT. So we'll take the kid who's more schooled, more tuned up, and ready to deliver at a higher level faster and build in that oval knowledge because there's just not enough oval knowledge coming from the kids over here in America to give them that advantage that they once had. So that's what it's all about. So looking forward, who's which ladder is going to have more drivers represented in IndyCar? Uh, there's one other factor here, Eric, that we got to acknowledge. There are more kids, NXT, whose parents are gazillionaires than there are over in F2, or at least willing to spend that money on their kid to come over here. So I think, despite everything I said about most of the European talent being at a higher state of readiness and skill and whatever, there are more kids able to write giant checks to move into IndyCar right away than a kid most kids coming out of f2 so i think at least for the next couple of years yeah next five years you said i think we're gonna see more nxt represented because they can afford it um formula nerds you say how will the organization changes that errol mclaren affect or improve the team um 
none that I know of because it's just a change of two titles. So Gavin Ward's former title of race director, just a bit weird knowing that he was indeed the number one person in charge of running the team. And if we think race director in most team structures, it's usually that's what equivalent to sporting director or so at other teams. So uh, this was just a weird or ill-fitting title from the outset, which has been corrected. And he's now team principal. Only note here, he already was the team principal. He just had this wacky title given to him that didn't adequately describe his role. I was so confused when they initially announced all this last year, uh, along with Brian Barnhart. I think his title was general manager or something like that, where as I read it, and this is different from what I understood, but I read the thing. I'm like, oh, Brian Barnhart was the top dog, and Gavin reported him. And so I forget who I think I spoke to Brian and then maybe spoke to Gavin that morning or whenever it was. And as they're describing the structure, they were describing the opposite. And that's when my dim little light bulb went off over my head and said, oh, got it, got it, got it. This is just job title inaccuracy. In reality, Brian reports to Gavin, they handle very different things, but Gavin is indeed the top dog. He's the Mike Hall He's the whomever. He's the Tim Sindrick of that organization. So no changes there in terms of structure or how things get done. Only main thing they're looking to fill, and for all I know, they've already done it, is they're looking to backfill uh, Billy Vincent's post as team manager. But that's, yet again, something else I should make a note to check in on because I'm not sure where they are at. Uh Sorry, I'm actually making notes here. not just saying I'm making notes. Uh, Let's see. We're going to get down to our last couple of questions here and then say farewell. Uh, Eric Franklin, by the way, I love your question that asks me to break down all the things that RLL, Penske, and Andretti need to work on during the offseason. Let's do that one maybe a little later in the month just because, like, yeah, that's a a long answer because it's pretty in-depth. Neil Doiker, you say MP. You and your wife are in my prayers. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, man. So I'm wondering how you would grade Alexander Rossi's year. Last year, I wondered if he was overrated. This year, he was the least impactful of the McLaren drivers. He was mid to back of the pack. Last year, we could point to cartoon anvils, but I don't remember him getting into significant wrecks this year. So was it a symptom of being in a new team, or is he potentially overrated? Don't think he's overrated, Neil. We know anecdotally, Air McLaren cars are not the easiest things to drive. Um, There are some teams where their setup philosophy is something where new folks climb into those cars and go, wow, this thing's a rocket, and I don't have to wear myself out to get the speed out of it, or I don't have to exhaust myself to get the speed out of it. Some teams, you know, you got to absolutely exhaust yourself to get the last ounce of speed out of them. 
seems like the Aero McLaren team was not able to find the exact perfect harmony uh, across all three cars at each event. Rossi is one where working with the great Craig Hampson, I did expect more in the second half of the season, right? New to the team, new to the engineer, new to everything, right? I didn't have crazy high expectations for Alexander to start. Be honest, I thought we would have seen a little more towards the second half of the season. I'm holding any final judgments here as if my judgments mean anything, but I'm really looking to the start of next season, Neil. Uh, I doubt anyone at Aaron McLaren would say this and whatnot, but I'm looking to Alexander's output in the opening three or four races next year with a very keen eye because I know a lot of people who'd love to be in that car. And it was Pato and then everybody else at that team. Not even close. Again, on select occasion, you'd have Felix being the fastest. On select occasion, you'd have Alexander. But by and large, it was the Pato award show, and that's how the season went. They didn't sign Alexander to be the the number two driver to Pato's number one. Team didn't win at all this year, so you know there's that, but bridging the gap to Pato and making this more of a Dixon Palo type scenario, a McLaughlin Newgarden scenario, right? A name a team where it's top two drivers are really close scenario. That's what they're looking for. And if Alexander can demonstrate that to open the season, I think things are going to be really strong for him. And there should be a, uh, a pretty decent runway for him. If that doesn't happen, I will be concerned. Let's wind down here with Ian Keyworth. Say, MP, any more news on the rumored Argentinian IndyCar race next year? What do you think the likelihood of this coming off happens to be? It's all about money, brother. Um, Mark Miles, Penske Entertainment CEO, told us that they have effectively agreed to terms on this, but still need to hammer out the finer details. I mean, really, the details come down to money. And so if the money is provided, it will absolutely happen. <laughs> it's really as basic as that. This is a money trip and nothing more than that. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I don't mean that to sound negative but this isn't about hey we think we're gonna have maybe a 20-year runway down in argentina with a race and we're gonna get the first one in but we're confident this is gonna have a long lifespan i've heard nothing to suggest this is more than a one-off trip so for it to become solid and i can't give you odds because i just don't know where the money is or isn't at uh, there needs to be real money committed and transferred We've had too many uh, Chinese IndyCar street race, Boston IndyCar street race type scenarios where, hey, we're going to do it and we're going to maybe announce it and then the money doesn't show up. Uh, I'd say before anything would get announced, there would absolutely need to be a pretty steep delivery of money uh, for that to be something IndyCar is confident in doing. So 
very much, as I understand it, Ian, of a uh, put-up or shut-up type deal. And so, yeah, keep an eye on it. But The fact that this has been in discussion for so long and wasn't in a place of being ready and done by the time the schedule was announced in late September, it's something that has me concerned for sure. Uh, why don't we close with our guy, J.J. Gertler. Uh, isn't it nice that Honda Performance Development is honoring the departure of Ziggy Harkis from the paddock by changing their name to HRCUS in his honor? Honda Racing Corporation, United States, Harkis in his honor. Class act, J.J., I love you. I love you, man. I appreciate that you spot the silliness just as I do and then stuff like this where I didn't spot it. So good on you. Um, Jamie Doling, you're asking, what is Marco Andretti's involvement in the Andretti Global Organization? To my knowledge, nothing in terms of from a management or infrastructure standpoint. I do think we'll see him doing some driving of Andretti Global content in the future, but I'm not aware of him having any kind of active internal role and I'm going below the red line of death here. Um, Johnny Patrick Marshall, best you in the family, is wondering if there's any news in Simon Pagano's official recovery. Uh, you say he seemed to go quiet on social media since his last post. Just wondering if there are any updates on his health. Uh, not yet. Texted him last week just to say, hey, buddy, thinking of you and I hope you're well. And that's it. He just sent a nice response back. But haven't probed. He knows my number. Uh, I don't mean to put that in a way of like, it's all on him, but like Simon is an immensely calculating person. He does not do anything without a lot of running of scenarios and game planning. And if he says something, it's because it is exactly what he wanted to say or not want to say. So whenever he is ready, whenever that time comes, whether it's me, uh, another reporter on his own through social media, he will let us know. And that's why bugging him and asking for updates. Uh, I'm not saying those who might be reaching out, trying to get updates are bad people or doing anything wrong. I just know that, uh, someone have had a, a pretty close relationship for about 15 years. Um, just not an area Johnny where I've wanted to push into that. And, uh, yeah, when he's ready, He'll let me or us know, and we will celebrate and hope that we can do whatever we can to uh, um, hopefully get him back into a race car and do the thing that he is meant to do. Uh, let me see. Where are we on the good old clock? Yeah, we got a minute or two more here. Um, got a couple questions about this, and we might uh, go deeper on this for sure. Uh, in an upcoming episode or two, just reiterating, I'm leaving very early Tuesday morning next week, so I'll do everything I can to get an episode out Monday, but I then kind of sort of am in full IMSA mode, so it might be the week after uh, Petite where we do some deeper dives. But uh, Swinglish and a few others asked uh, about hybrid testing, saying with Penske and Chip Ganassi uh, having tested the hybrid systems, and there might be others I'm forgetting. How is IndyCar ensuring fairness to the other teams that haven't tested? So they're all more or less invited to come and partake. I believe Errol McLaren has gotten in. 
uh, on the running of a car for Chevy, I believe Andretti Autosport either has or will. Um, I don't know how many other teams will be nominated to uh, by each manufacturer to actually run the cars on their behalf, but this is a case where all information, all data gathered by both Chevy and Honda is then passed down to all the teams that they are contracted with through engine leases. So that is where uh, fairness, parity, you name it, is maintained. And this same process was done with the UAK 18 Aero Kit, for example, where all the learnings from Chevy was sent to all of Chevy's teams and same with Honda. So that's what IndyCar has done for a little while now. And they have a great relationship with Team Chevy and Elmore and Honda Performance Development, which will soon be Harkus, H-R-C-U-S. Um, and that process seems to be working, I would say, fairly well. Jacob Behrman, you got one in here. Chris D'Amato, Marcello. Uh, Marcello, you say, MP from one Bay Area person to another. Can we discuss telemetry and data analysis uh, from the IndyCar website? Um, we can. I just don't know what we're... Uh, discussing about that brother so send in a uh, a more specific question about what you want to uh discuss and we can do just that cam and eddie you asking how great will scott dixon be with fuel saving with a hybrid yeah uh yeah that's gonna be good um daniel ferris how you doing daniel i think we're you know actually ed george you got one more question here on this and i'll use this to close any of you sent in stuff that you really want answered, but I didn't fire it back in. And again, we'll get to it in the coming weeks. Got a long off season, y'all. Uh, Ed says, how much spy versus spy type stuff is going on between HPD, oops, HRC, and Chevy Ilmore over the development of 2024 hybrids? And is it just me, or is the cloak of secrecy thrown over this testing process counterproductive? You say, I would have expected IndyCar YouTube videos every week. Am I the only one? All right, so the last part's my fault, legitimately. Uh, I've got at least two, maybe three videos left from my August hybrid test visit that I just need to get to. Uh, again, life's been a little busy, and there's one of me, and I'm not very good at even just doing the stuff I'm supposed to. So there's more to come. Um, also, uh, I did leave a voicemail with IndyCar last Wednesday in my drive down to Monterey saying, hey, let's get caught up on hybrid stuff and hybrid testing so I can do a story about it. I've gotten a call back, so... Uh, I will make another call tomorrow, I guess, on the one-week anniversary of that voicemail and uh, see if we can have that conversation and I can put that story together. When I was at that test in Sebring, Chevy had asked for no photo and videos of the back of the car to be taken because they did have some development engine parts uh, that they were testing out, that being hopefully what they would be using to have great success in 2024. So... It would be hard for Honda to have gotten any spy photos in that scenario because I know who all else was there that day, and there's nobody who would have uh, been manning a thousand millimeter lens to do that. So here's the thing to know, except for those scenarios where they say, hey, we're doing something private, please respect that. Um, I watched Wayne from i watched wayne from ilmore and matt from hpd walk side by side back and forth from each other's camp multiple times over the two days and that's because 
both sides are collaborating on creating the energy recovery system. So there is a little bit of like, hey, we're going to go under our tent. Hold on. Let us throw a blanket over something uh, we don't want you to see and vice versa. But other than that, truly, the, this odd, odd scenario of seeing Wayne Bennett, Matt Niles, like shoulder to shoulder, walking back and forth, uh, diving deeply into things that normally these two would not be uh, talking about. But that's the spirit of helping IndyCar uh, with HPD looking after the energy storage and release side and Ilmore slash Team Chevy on the mechanical side, the actual harvesting, uh, and then deployment back through mechanical means. So anyways, um, I would say other than any engine-specific development items, both camps are trying to work through during hybrid testing. It's really the only stuff where they would try and keep each other out. And so far, it, it appeared to me that they're respecting each other and also just in speaking with folks, there's a really good vibe of how this is going down. All right. Thank you all for sending in your questions. Thanks again to Jerry Suddeth for putting them together. If I didn't get to whatever you wanted, please fire them back in. Just have a little bit of patience with me next week since I'm basically home for one day. Uh, also, if you're interested in joining the Prude listener group, which is just amazing, um, check the description here. That's going to be the new thing. Instead of rattling off the email address in the show, just check the description, uh, show description here, and it will have the email address. Send an email there. You'll get an automated response tell you how to sign up. It's on Discord, and then you're going to have a new racing family who uh, those folks are pretty darn awesome. So I'm Marshall Pruitt. Thanks again for Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Pals of Discount Tire. I'll speak to you next week. <laughs>